0: All right, I am so excited to begin this sermon series with you today, a brand new series we're calling Core Values. And are you ready? If your half is ready to listen to this message as I am to preach it, then you ought to say amen two times. I'm ready to preach this word today. Listen, let's just begin. Open your Bibles with me. I don't even want you to find the text yet. I just want you to open your Bibles. <laughs> Do you know what you're holding in your hand? This is the word of God. This this word is alive. It is active. You know, if you'll let it, this word will change your life. So let's just pray that direction today. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you that we came to church today and you came too. You showed up in this place, God, to receive our praise. God, you were honored by our boys and girls today. Lord, your church put a smile on your face. Your word says you delight in our praises. And God, today, you came to speak a word to us. So God, give us ears to hear it. Lord, help us to respond to your word. Let it sharpen and strengthen us for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 All right, I'll give you a text. It's Numbers chapter 13 and 14 in the Old Testament. Numbers chapter 13 and 14. Let me say this as you're finding your place. Everyone has core values. Now, not everybody could articulate what they are. Uh, Maybe you didn't even create your own core values. They might have been things that were instilled in you from childhood, things that you learned, things that other people told you that just stayed with you. And those things have become the guiding thoughts and ideas for your life. Maybe you're a person who has a core value of just working hard. You've just always been a person that works hard or a person that saves money. Or maybe you have a core value of just choosing joy. You know, you're you're the eternal optimist in the room. The person that just always sees the silver lining. You always look on the brighter side. It's a core value of your life to just choose joy. Or maybe you would say, I'm a lifelong learner. And I just I never want to stop learning. You're always reading a book. You're always taking a course. You're always trying to get insight. Everybody has core values, and a lot of times when we talk about core values, we see it in the in the business sense, in the organizational model. So I looked up a couple businesses to just illustrate what core values are. A lot of um, businesses these days have a commitment to sustainability or acting environmentally friendly. Companies like uh, Patagonia or Ben and Jerry's have environmentally sustainable core values. Now I was thinking about the irony of Ben and Jerry's saving the earth. They, they don't care about your waistline at all, but they will save the whales. And, and so their core value is sustainability and environmental friendliness. I thought about the Apple company. They have a core value of innovation. That's why they have the motto. Think different. Think different because innovation is a core value. Some companies have a commitment to just do good. In fact, one company, their their vision to do good for everyone is Google. And so they believe in making a great search engine and building a great company without being evil. <laughs> That's the hope. That's Google. There's other organizations that have a core value of Helping the needy or the less fortunate. And one of the companies that comes to my mind is Tom's Shoes Company. For every pair of shoes they sell, they give a pair away to help alleviate poverty and to make life better for other people. The the idea is this, that core values influence the culture of any organization. Core values do. Now, everything has a culture. You think about the restaurants that you eat in. You go into one restaurant, it it feels different. They might even serve similar menus, but the restaurant has a culture. You go into a different place to shop and there's an atmosphere there. There's a culture. Nations have cultures. Your house has a culture. Your house feels different than my house. Different environment, different culture. And, And the same is true for churches, You can walk into two Christian churches this morning that believe essentially the same things and have entirely different experiences. It's not the beliefs that make them unique. It's the behaviors, and culture determines the behaviors. You can go into two Assembly of God churches that believe essentially the same thing theologically, and yet those two churches can be very unique and very different in how they act. So what we are doing in this series for the next six weeks, is we have tried to boil down to just six core values for our church. And now there's a lot of things we could talk about, a lot of things, but I want you to know these are not just things that we aspire to. These are things that we've prayed about and looked at and we've we've listened to the church and we've heard people's uh, experiences and and what the... The feeling of this church has brought, and we see six things that not only do we value, but we want to make sure we don't lose. So we're identifying these things as core values for our church because these are the behaviors that describe our lives as a church. Now, maybe you're here and it's grandparents' day and, and this isn't your church. Let me tell you why this should matter to you. Because these values are biblical values. And I think they ought to reflect and be embodied by every Christian, every man or woman of God. So, so let me just say to all the Christians, not just the church members, there ought to be a lot of amens in this series. If, if you're a member of this church, especially there ought to be a lot of amens, because these are things that when I when I say it, you ought to go. That, that's right. That is the culture. That is the culture. here. Amen. That's true. That's who we are. And so today, I, I want to just speak about the first one, and, and these are not in an order of priority. They just work well with this sermon series. So the one I want to talk about today is a culture of honor, a culture of honor. Now, I want to give you a definition. You can look at it with me on the screen. Here's how we define that. We honor those that have laid the path ahead of us and bless those who labor among us as we embrace a new generation Before us. Can I just say the obvious? We've lost honor in our American culture. Haven't we? I I mean, there was a day, there was a time in the not too distant history of America where we had honor in our society. I mean, there's still some pockets of it. We still see it. But as a culture, there was a time when, when young people just respected their elders. Amen. There, I, knew, I knew I was going to get some help on Grandparents Day with that one. There was a time when students listened to their teachers without talking back. There, there was a time when businesses were closed on Sunday. Amen. Out of respect. Out of, out of honor. It, it, was, it was a cultural... Norm and those things for the most part are gone. And so, where are our young people going to develop an understanding for honor? Where are they going to see it modeled? I'm going to tell you, it's going to have to happen in the house of God. We're going to have to create the culture now. Now, you might get it wrong five days out of the week, but on Sunday, with God's help, we're going to get it right. Right? We worked to create a culture of honor for one another honor is a value because honor is a commandment. Now, last week, we finished our series in Ephesians. We have certainly uh, looked in that book a lot, but I want to show you a verse we looked at last Sunday just one more time because this is so important for this topic of honor. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter six, verse two and three, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on the earth. Now why would he say it's going to go well with you if you honor your father and mother? He didn't mean because they won't beat you. That's not that's not what he meant. It's going to go, it's going to be better for you if you honor me. That's not what he meant. He meant if you honor your father and mother, it's going to go well with you in all of your life because in the home with father and mother is where you learn honor. And if you haven't figured out how to honor father and mother, you're not going to honor the teacher. If you don't honor the one that's willing to to wipe your nose and clean up after your messes, you're not going to know how to honor your employer when you go and get a job or your professor at the university or your spouse. If you can't honor your mom, you're not going to honor your spouse. And so he's saying, look, this is a a principle that is established in the home. And if you get it there, it's going to go well with you. And can I just say, if honor begins in the home, then it should thrive in the house of God. It should thrive in God's house. The Bible says this in, in Romans, and, and this really takes, um, this takes honor outside of the realm of just thanking people and giving people appreciation for the things that they've done. The Bible says in Romans thirteen seven, give everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. No amens on that? <laughs> I didn't think so. <laughs> if revenue then revenue if respect then respect if honor then honor let me just say this today honor he's saying this is what you give people if they if you owe them this you give them this honor has to be given we don't want to create a culture of demanding honor honor is not something that you impose on people that you say you better honor me you better respect me you better elevate me no in fact, Jesus told a parable uh, about that very thing, about how embarrassingly awkward it can be. If you go seeking a place of honor instead of waiting for it to come to you, Jesus was at a, at a dinner, and he saw these people coming, and everyone was trying to, to get the best seat. Everybody was trying to you know get in the VIP section, and so Jesus thought this was a great moment to just teach a little lesson, and in Luke chapter 14, he begins to explain to them that if you go to a banquet and you, you see the reserved seating, you should not go and sit in the seat of honor, because what might happen is somebody coming late that's more important than you will come in, and then the host will actually come to you and say, I'm sorry, could you move back there? And you have to go and sit at the kiddie table. That's not exactly how Jesus told it, but I'm paraphrasing. You ever got moved to the kiddie table before? That wrecked your holiday meal, right? And so Jesus says, "You you don't want that to happen. It would be better for you if you would come and take a lowly place, take a place of humility so that when the host comes and says, oh, wait a minute, brother, wait a minute. I want you to sit over here with us. Come over here and then you'll be honored. And so honor is not just something that we say, hey, thank you. You did a great job. Honor is something that we give. We give it. In fact... The New Testament takes it even farther outside of the, the realm of our comfort when he talks when it talks about creating a culture of honor. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. Now Peter's writing to the first century Christians who were being persecuted by the government, being persecuted legally by the emperor. And he says these words: Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. Wow. Honor the emperor. Are you kidding? Now, let me just ask you to evaluate your own home. What kind of culture are you creating by the way that you talk about those in authority? You can see the Bible says that we are to honor those in authority. And it'd be easy for us to just Uh, you know, sit in the peanut gallery and and play the critic. I mean, I I don't know about you, but I got to be honest with you. I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you that sometimes I'm tempted to use my pulpit as a platform to tell you what's wrong with folks, what's wrong with the government, what's wrong with those people, celebrities, what's wrong with us. I mean, sometimes I, I get the feeling that my spiritual gift is criticism. I really do. But I have, to, I have to swallow that. I got I to gotta let that die before my feet hit this platform because we want to create a culture of honor, and that means we refuse to let somebody else be the step that we stand on to make our platform higher. Amen. Honor says, I'm not going to take shots at those in authority, even if the one in authority is the emperor. No, we, we honor. We choose Honor. Dr. Samuel Chan said this, a toxic culture will eat vision for lunch. You can have vision, you can have strategy, but if the culture that you're trying to develop it in is toxic, it won't happen. And Every, every church has a culture. We want the culture of our church to cause us to thrive. In what God wants to do in the church. Now, in the Life Group series that we're launching in just a couple weeks, the Life Group series DVD is called Core Values. And what we're going to do in that series is we're going to dive deeper into that definition that I gave you a few moments ago. And we're going to talk about how we honor one another in the life of the church, what God has called us to do. But today, what I want to do this morning is I just want to, I just want to go to the place where it all begins. I want to just talk about where it all starts because a commitment to honor has to begin with God. A culture of honor in the church has to begin with a commitment that says we're going to honor God above everything else. Now, we love people and we're going to bend over backwards to, to reach out to people and to love people. But at the end of the day, God is going to be honored in this church. And that's got to be the heart. That's got to be the epicenter of of everything else. And so I want you to look with me at this story in Numbers 13 and 14, because what we see here is a, 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 a leader, Moses, who had vision and who had strategy and who had a plan and who had a destination. And he could see it and it was right out in front of him, but he had a toxic culture. And I want you to see what it caused to happen. And more importantly, I want you to see two men that rose above it. If you're not familiar with this portion of scripture, let me just give you a little backstory. The children of Israel had been enslaved in bondage in Egypt for 400 years. And they cried out to God for a deliverer. And God sent a man named Moses. And Moses delivered the people out of bondage in Egypt. And they journeyed through the wilderness. And they got to the edge of what God had told them would be theirs. It was a promised land. It's going to be yours. It's going to be a a place that is spacious and good. and, And it's going to be your home. You're going to be your own nation, a free people. And so Moses led the people and they got to that place. And when they got to the edge of that place, he sent 12 spies to go in and to survey the land. These 12 spies go in and they survey the land and they come back to give a report. Two of the spies are just excited to get going right into the promised land. But 10, 10 of them began to pollute the atmosphere of faith with negativity, with skepticism, With doubt, They caused fear to spread throughout the camp of all the people, so much so that the people were ready to give up on the promise that God had led them to, and they were actually willing to go back. In fact, look with me at verse four in Numbers 14. This is right at the height of the toxicity in their culture. Here's what it says. And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. God, God, got so angry is the right word with what was happening in the hearts and minds of the people. And he said, none of this generation, none of these people that are 20 years or older are going to go into the promised land. This whole generation is going to die off. I'll take the next generation in, but none of them are going in except for two people. And it was those two spies out of the 12 that came back and said, we believe we can do this. Those two men were named Joshua and Caleb. They they rose above and they chose to honor God and they honored him in three ways. Now, if you're a note taker, write these three down because this is where we're headed. They honored God's presence. They honored God's promise and they honored God's Perspective. I want to show you for a few moments in the Word of God how they did this, and I want you to understand that this is where a culture of honor begins. It begins with a decision in your heart and in my heart to honor God's presence. Let me tell you about Joshua. Here's how Joshua honored the presence of God. You know, there's a verse of scripture in Exodus 33, verse 11, that the first part of it is often quoted. Because the first part of that verse says, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. I can't think of a a better description of a, a man or woman of God than to say that they had such an intimate relationship with God that they spoke to him face to face as a person speaks with a friend. But it's the second half of the verse that I want to draw your attention to this morning. Because it says, then Moses would return to the camp after he had had this incredible moment with God. He would return to the camp, but his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Can you just picture this young man who's following in the footsteps of Moses his predecessor. Moses has this incredible moment of worship with God, and and Joshua is allowed to be there. Can I tell you, one generation is incredibly blessed when the previous generation makes room for them to encounter God's presence. Aren't you glad that this church is not just focused on one generation? that today you modeled this as we made room for our boys and girls to, to sing out and to worship God and to develop and discover their gifts and their abilities. You were doing like Moses did for Joshua. You were creating space for them to follow in our footsteps and to cultivate an intimate personal relationship with God. Moses would have those moments and he would leave. And Can't you just see Joshua after Moses goes away? It says he stayed there. Moses went back to the camp and now now Joshua would go in and he would go over to that spot where Moses had been kneeling down to pray and he would kneel down there and he, he would think about the things that, Joshua, uh, that Moses said and Joshua would begin to say those same things. He'd begin to pray those same prayers. He'd begin to sing those same songs, hoping that he could have the same kind of spiritual encounter with God that Moses had. Joshua learned how to honor God's presence. That wasn't always the case. In fact, several years before, Moses was leading the people, and he would get up early in the morning, and he would sit down on the judgment seat, and all day from sunup till sundown, the Bible says the people would come to him. They'd stand in long lines, and they would wait so that they could meet with Moses so that he could tell them what God's will is in their situation. And then finally, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, comes to visit, Exodus 18. Jethro comes to visit, and he sees this. And it gets to the end of the day, and there's all these people that still haven't had their number called. They haven't had their chance to see Moses, and they leave frustrated, and Moses is exhausted. And the Bible says that Jethro looked at Moses in Exodus 18 17, and he said this He said, What you are doing is not good. What he was saying is, Moses, this is not a healthy culture. You you got all these people waiting to talk to you and he began to event again to give him instructions he encouraged him he said look Moses you need to de- delegate you need to get some leaders that can be in charge of 100 people and some leaders that can be in charge of 50 people and some leaders that can be in charge of 10 people and let them answer the questions and and deal with some of these problems and only come to you with the big stuff I'm telling you we honor the next generation when we allow them to take part In the work, not just in the worship, but in the work as well. And and so Moses did that. He began to make room. and, And Joshua was one of those people that were blessed because Moses made room for him. And Joshua learned to honor the presence of God in his own life. So did Caleb. Caleb learned how to honor the presence of God. You know, after the culture here in Numbers 13 became... Toxic, And God was furious with all the people. He was was so angry. Look at Numbers 14, verse 23 and 24. This is what God said to Moses about the Israelites who refused to just move by faith into the promised land. He said, not one of them will ever see the land that I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But we'll look at verse 24. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I'll bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. God uses a word to describe Caleb. He says he followed me wholeheartedly. In fact, that word wholehearted is used six times in the Old Testament to describe Caleb. And it's a word that means to close the gap. That's what it means, to close the gap. It's a word that hunters would use when they were pursuing their prey, when they were getting closer, when they were about uh, to, to get, catch their prey. They were closing the gap. They were pursuing them wholeheartedly. And that's the word that's used to describe this young man, Caleb. He sought God. Wholeheartedly, can I just challenge us today, church, to honor God's presence like Joshua and Caleb? To pursue God's presence, to want to be close to Him wholeheartedly to close the gap and be near to God. The second way that Joshua and Caleb honored God's God is they honored his promises. They honored God's promise. Now, if you look at the beginning of chapter 13 in Numbers. You see very clearly what God's plan was. It says, the Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. I am giving it to the Israelites. God spoke very clearly to Moses. This is what I'm going to do. I want you to send 12 spies to go check it out. But I'm giving it to you. So Moses, he wants details about the land. But he never asked them to doubt God's plan. He never asked them to come back and tell him if if they thought that they could possess the land. Or if they thought that the enemy was too powerful or too strong. He simply said, I want you to go. And I want you to survey the land. I want you to see how fortified the walls are. I want you to see how well the crops are growing. I want to know what the soil is like. I want to know what kind of trees are growing there. I want you to just tell me what this land that God is going to give us is like. So they all went. They surveyed the land. But when the spies returned, I want you to look with me at what it says they told Moses. Verse 27, Numbers 13, it says, they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey, and here is its fruit. Now, let me just say, that was a great report. What they were saying in that moment is, Moses, everything you said it was going to be, it is. It is. It is, and I wonder sometimes how many times they heard Moses tell that story. I mean, this is Moses' personal testimony. It's it's his go-to sermon. It's the burning bush message that Moses would tell over and over again, I'm sure, when he would speak to the people. He would tell them about that time that he was out on the backside of the wilderness, and, and all of a sudden, he saw a burning bush And he said, oh, I just thought I was going to just be a shepherd for the rest of my life. But then I saw this burning bush and, and I took off my shoes and I knelt in that holy place. And God spoke to me and God told me in that moment that I have come to rescue my people from the hand of the Egyptians. And I've come to lead them into a good and a spacious land, a land that's flowing with milk and honey. And Moses would tell them about what happened there in the word of God in Exodus. And he would say, this is the place that God is taking us to. And now, all these years later, here they are. They're at that place. And in verse 27 of Numbers 13, those 10 spies come back and it says they gave Moses this account. Moses, it's just like you said. The land does flow with milk and honey. Look at the next verse. But... The people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there, but it's everything that God said. I mean, the promises were true, but I don't think we're going to be able to do this, but the enemy is really large, but you should have seen the walls. You should have seen how fortified the city was. Let me just tell you that that's a big, but And if I'm brutally honest, I think a lot of Christians are missing out on the fullness of God's promise because your butt's too big. I just got to say it. I'm sorry. I just got to say what I'm seeing in the text here. You know, it's no wonder. It's no wonder that when Paul described the armor of God, he said, truthfulness is a belt because the truth keeps our butt covered. Can I just say, you know, yeah, we believe the promise, but we can't because you didn't see what we saw. How about we just make a commitment to believe God's promise? If we want to create a culture of honor, we got to honor God at his word. The promises are the word of God and the word of God is the authoritative and final answer for faith and conduct. It's, It's the final say. I don't know what the circumstances say, but the word of God says. And so we're going to just go with the word. Caleb and Joshua came back with a different report, not because they saw different circumstances, but because they believed the promise that had already been told them before they ever broke camp and went to spy out the land. God said he's going to give it to us. But these 10 chose not to take God at his word. Let me give you the third way that these two men rose above the surrounding culture. They honored God's perspective. They honored his perspective. You know, opinions are like noses. Everybody has one. Even within the church, I mean, there's lots of ways you can do church. There's lots of different ways you can organize and structure and lead a church. But, but here's the deal, because there's, there, there, there's a lot of good ways. Here's the deal. We believe that God has a unique vision and strategy and plan for each church. Yeah. We believe that God has a way that he wants us to do things And there are things that are going to be unique about this church that that may not even be present in other churches. The reality is those people that are committed to creating a culture of honor in the church, they don't complain when things are not done the way that they think they ought to be done. Instead, they rally around the vision of the house. They support the decision of the leadership. Why? Because it's a culture of honor. And we believe that God has a perspective that he wants us to move from. And boy, wouldn't it be easier if God just spoke to everybody and just told everybody, here's exactly what's going to happen. Unfortunately, he doesn't do that. Usually he gives a vision to a person, to a leader. And Moses says, here's the plan. Here's what we're going to do. And God calls the people to run with the vision. Joshua and Caleb chose to see things from God's perspective and serve him rather than be paralyzed by fear. It would have been easy to do. The other 10 did it. They chose God's perspective and they had to overcome some other perspectives to get there. Let me give you some of the perspectives that they had to overcome because maybe this is you today. They had to overcome the giants and the grasshoppers, both extremes. And we see it in Numbers 13, verse 32. It says this it says, and they spread among the Israelites these 10 spies a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said the land we explored devours those that live in it. All the people we saw there are great in size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim and we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. So the the mentality of the 10 spies is we look like grasshoppers, but the perspective of God is I've given you the land. Mm -hmm. What does that have to do with anything? I've given you the land. So in other words, we appreciate your concern, but we're more concerned with what God says. So we, we value your perspective, but we have a vision from God. And so we're going to follow the vision from God. I just want to encourage you today that for some of you, you have this grasshopper mentality and you need to just begin to believe your beliefs and doubt your doubts instead of doubting your beliefs and believing your doubts. The grasshopper mentality just says, I'm never good enough. I'm not talented enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't have what it takes it's a perspective of inferiority, but God's perspective says this, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. See, God doesn't need much to do much. The grasshopper mentality, paralyzing. There was another aspect though that they had to overcome, and that was, that was the giant perspective. And the truth is, every one of us, we have giants that we face. You have things that are looming large in your life. Giants of discouragement, giants of debt, giants of disease, giants of doubt. And the truth is, you can't defeat them on your own. But you really have one of two options. You can either say, look how small we are compared to these giants. That's the outlook of fear. Or you can say, look how small these giants are compared to our God. And that's the uplook of faith Amen. that just says, I'm going I'm to trust God. I mean, this giant may be bigger than me, but he's small compared to the God that I serve, the God who said, I can have what he says I can have. So we're going to honor God with the right perspective. There was one more perspective they had to overcome, not just the grasshoppers and the giants. They had to overcome the greys. Say, what, what are the greys? You know, the the grays. (laughs) Yeah, they had to overcome old man time because the reality is there was a time that came for Caleb where he could have said, I'm too old now. I missed my moment. I mean, there's another generation that's now grown up. All of of my graduating class, they're gone. They all died in the wilderness just like God said it was going to happen. I was 40 years old when God said nobody 20 years or older is going into the the promised land. So now there's only two senior adults in all of Israel. Nobody's older than 65 except these two 85-year-old men, Joshua and Caleb. And he could have easily said, you know what? I missed my moment. I started too late in life. Somebody else is going to have to climb that mountain. Somebody else is going to have to fight that fight. I missed my opportunity. I want you to turn with me to Joshua chapter seven. We're going to close here because I want you to see how he overcame the perspective of the grays and how he honored God's perspective. Joshua chapter 14. Now, as we turn here, you got to understand, we're fast-forwarding 45 years. It's 45 years later. They're back. <laughs> and by this time, Moses is dead, and Joshua is the leader. And he's led the people across the Jordan. And they have conquered Jericho. And now they're actually in the promised land. And it's time for those 12 tribes to go their separate ways and to possess the land that God had for them. Look with me in verse 6 of Joshua 14. It says, Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, listen to Caleb. He said, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me, talking to the only other Senior adult in the room. He said, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore that land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly, I honored God's presence. Is what he was saying. When everybody else recoiled at the sight of those giants, I closed the gap. Wholeheartedly, I honored the Lord. Verse 9 says, so on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord, my God, wholeheartedly. Now then, Caleb says, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time that he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I love that. Here I am. All the rest of them are gone. They died. Here I am, 85 years old. Verse 11, I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. That's the heart of a person who has God's perspective. You know, he could have said, you know what? That hill didn't look so steep 45 years ago. He could have asked for lower ground. He could have asked for a smaller enemy. But here he is. He said, I'm just as strong today. I'm just as vigorous today. I believe every bit as much today as I did 45 years ago that the promises of God are mine in Christ Jesus. Give me the hill. Give me the hard place. Give me the high ground. Give me everything that God said I could have. Why? Because I believe what he promised to me. He said, you yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Whatever the limitation is you put on your life, just add comma, but the Lord helping me and change your perspective. So verse 13 says, then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and he gave him Hebron as his inheritance. Isn't it cool? Hebron means fellowship. What he really wanted was just fellowship with God. He wanted to honor God in the place that God had promised him. Verse 14 says, so Hebron has belonged to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, ever since because... He followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. I love this story. It tells me that gray heads can still scale great heights. Amen. 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 (laughs) Amen. You know, retirement's not a biblical concept. (laughs) Now, before I lose all my audience... (laughs) You can still look forward to the day you don't have to clock in anymore. And you can rejoice in that. But how many of you understand that there is no point or time in the life of a child of God that we clock out on the purposes and the plan of God for our lives? The Bible says, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Which means if you still have breath in your lungs, God has a purpose for your praise. He has a plan and a strategy for your life. He has something that he wants you to do. There's some mountain that he still wants you to climb. And if we're going to get there, we got to create a culture of honor in our hearts. A heart that says, I'm going to honor God's perspective. If God is for me, who can be against me? There's no mountain I can't climb. There's no, there's no battle I can't win if God be for me. It's a heart that says, I'm going to honor God's promise. That's his word. I'm going to honor the promise of God. I'm not going to live according to what I feel or to what I see. I'm going to let God's word be a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I'm going to honor God's promises. And it's a heart that says, I'm going to honor God's presence. There was a time when God was gonna just send Moses and the people out. And Moses said, if you don't go with me, I don't want to go. I don't even want the promise without your presence. I want my Hebron. I want fellowship. I want communion with you. I want intimacy with my Savior. Above everything else, I want to close the gap. And at the close of this service today, I want to pray for you and you're here today and you're hearing this message young old doesn't matter if you would look at your life and you say there's something in my life that is causing a separation between me and the father I want to say it again these altars are not just a place for the lost to be found the altar is a place where we close the gap where we come near to God where we say wholeheartedly God I don't want anything in my life to separate me from you and so God I'm going to close the gap today And if you're here and you would be honest with your own self and say, there's something in my life, whether it be a sin or an attitude or a pattern in your life. And you say, this thing is, it's separating me from God. It's keeping me from the intimacy that I know he desires with me. I'm going to challenge you in just a moment as I pray to step up from where you are and to physically close the gap to come and find a place at the altar and say God I just want to be near you before we run off to lunch God I just want to, I want to come near you I want to close the gap I want to honor God in his presence I want to ask if you'd stand with me all over this room we're about to pray we're about to pray and I'm going to open these altars Maybe you're here today and you haven't haven't lived according to the promises of God. You live by what you can see. God wants to change your perspective today. He wants you to begin to walk by faith and not by sight. stop, Stop rationalizing and stop trying to make sense of it all. Just believe the promise of God. that that our kids prophesied about to us earlier. They said, I know who I am. I know who I am. I am a son and a daughter of God. I'm a child of God. That's who you are today. That's what God is speaking over your life. So as I pray this prayer, if you're here and you say, you know what, I, I don't have a relationship with the Lord. I don't have a relationship with Jesus, but I want to honor God today. I want to get a right perspective I want to honor God by submitting my life to his word and I want to invite you while I pray this prayer to join those others that are just coming to get close to Jesus to just come in agreement with the body of Christ just step out from where you are and come and meet us in this altar there are men and women that are going to come and pray with you we're just going to covenant together that this is not just something personally that God's doing in your life he's doing it in all of us this is what we want to fight for this is what we want to protect. God's presence being honored above all else in this house. So I want to pray for you right now. God's dealing with your heart. Just step out from where you are and come and meet us in this altar. God, today, Lord, we seek your face. God, today, Lord, I just sense that you're dealing with hearts and lives. God, there are some of us that we've allowed things and circumstances and maybe even people To separate us from you. We're we're not at the place where you want us to be. But God, you're you're speaking to us now. We're not going to be swayed by the majority opinion. God, we're going to rise above like Joshua and Caleb. We're going to honor God today. In this moment, God, we honor you wholeheartedly. We come to you today, God. For grace, for healing. We come to you today for salvation. We come to you today for deliverance. God, with our whole hearts, we seek you today for direction and for guidance. We're asking you by the power of your Holy Spirit to help us to overcome a a spirit of inferiority and intimidation and anything that would speak us and identify us as less than who you've called us to be. We may see ourselves as grasshoppers, But God, you've called us more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. God, help us today to overcome that spirit of fear that thinks we don't have what it takes to fulfill your plan and your purpose for our lives. God, give us a right perspective today. And God, I pray for our grandparents. I pray for the senior adults in this house today. Lord God, may none of us, may none of us stop short of a full life of surrender to you. God, give us fresh vision today. Give us fresh faith today to believe that you still have a work for us to do in this generation. God, as we make room for the next generation to come up behind us, God, let us take another mountain. Let us conquer more ground. God, give fresh vision, fresh anointing fresh passion to our senior adults today. Give us a different spirit like Caleb that would seek you and serve you wholeheartedly. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Let it be established, Lord, in this house. And all God's people said amen. Can we just give God praise today for the word of God that he's speaking over us? Amen.